Welcome to Chapter 19, Real Estate Appraisal. A lot of information in this chapter, and we'll cover it all for you. First of all, let's describe what an appraisal is. An appraisal is an opinion of value of a parcel of real estate based on supportable evidence and approved methods given by a licensed appraiser as of a given moment in time. So even though it's an opinion of value, this opinion has to be based on some supportable evidence and some methodology that the appraiser comes up with in determining what property seems to be worth or what we think the value of a property is worth. Appraisers in Illinois must be licensed. There are three categories of appraisers and you might want to know the associate trainee is the beginning, 75 hours, get your associate trainee, but you have to work under a certified residential appraiser and you have to work or a certified general appraiser. The difference is that certified residential appraisers only do residential appraising. Certified general appraisers can do all kinds of appraisals, residential as well as commercial. Appraisers do appraisals. Real estate agents do what we call CMAs or BPOs. So you can call when you come up with an opinion value for your seller or if you happen to do an opinion of value for your buyer, that happens sometimes, you won't call them an appraisal. You'll call it a CMA, uh, Competitive Market Analysis, or a BPO, Broker Price Opinion. Both those terms are used and both those are okay for you as a license use. And so for something to have value, it has to have dust. Dust. And you can see our plane up there dropping dust on everything. Demand, utility, scarcity, transferability. For something to have value, it must have those features, DUST, and we should know what each of those stands for, D-U-S-T. Market value is a price that a property should bring in a fair sale. So market value is something that we're looking forward to, a probable price that it should sell for. Probable, notice the word probable. It's still a guesstimate in its final analysis. We're still as uh, uh, estimating value. Uh, we assume when we're coming up with market value that we're in a competitive and open market and that, that the parties are acting with full knowledge and prudently uh, and we have no unusual circumstances, sometimes called a fair or arm length transaction. Uh, there's a difference between market value, market price, and market cost. Market value is what uh, what a property should bring at when when it sells. Uh, market price is what it did bring when it sold, and market cost is what something might cost to acquire or uh, or uh, or create to the marketplace. So market cost might be new construction. If you build something new, that would be the market cost which might represent market price when it sells, or maybe not, depending what it's built for in this day and age. Maybe it's not selling for what it's even built for. Sometimes it even sells for more than what it is built for. So there's a difference between market cost and market price, as there's a difference between market value and market price. What we think it's going to sell for may not be what it ultimately sells for, is what we're saying. There are, there are uh, principles that appraisers use in their methodology in coming up with market value. And here are the more important appraisal principles that appraisers use as they're estimating the value of property. The first principle is the principle of anticipation. 
we might expect the value to increase or decrease based on something in the future. Uh, maybe we know that uh, a zoning regulation is going to change the use of that land and therefore what it sells for today may be quite different than what its value will be tomorrow based on maybe a change in zoning. Change. The principal change says nothing remains constant. So as changes are going on in the neighborhood or in the geographical area, those changes in fact may work their way and affecting the value of the property that we're appraising today. Competition. As supply and demand forces affect uh, our marketplace, they will ultimately affect the market value of property. Uh, so, you know, a supply force might be uh, the uh, cost of materials is going up to build property. Well, that's going to affect then the value of any property that's being built, uh, as well as maybe a demand force. Maybe we see a uh, population change, uh, population going up or going down. Well, that is a demand force that will eventually affect the value of property. Conformity. Uh, property, uh, to the extent that it does not conform to other properties in the area, will have an effect on how we're going to value that property. Contribution, just because we improve a property doesn't mean it adds the, uh, the same amount of value that the improvement cost. So if we put a new kitchen in residential property and it costs $50,000 for the kitchen, it wouldn't necessarily in, 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 uh, increase the market value of the property $50,000. In fact, very few improvements uh, will, in, uh, will increase your market value 100% of the value of that improvement. And sometimes these improvements actually decrease the value of the property, a la a swimming pool perhaps. Highest and best use. Uh, one of the most important principles is the principle of high, highest and best use that says before a property can achieve its market value, it must be used for that one highest and best use. Uh, if it's not being used for its highest and best use, it will not be achieving its, its market value. Increasing and diminishing returns. Uh, again, over-improvements might uh, not add to the value of the property. So that actually too many improvements might actually diminish the value of the property. With this uh, assemblage B and C, let's say we're worth $25,000 $25, each, but when we put them together, the plotage became $60,000. So B and C, by assembling B and C, their ultimate value as one parcel, as by the principle of plotage, increases over what they would be as individual parcels sitting next to each other. Re the principle of regression says that the bigger house on the block, its value is going to be pulled down by the smaller houses. Progression says that the smaller houses in the block get pulled up, the value gets pulled up because of the bigger houses. The principle of substitution says one property is going to be pretty much worth what its substitute or its comparable property would be worth. Principle of substitution. That's the principle that the BPO, that's the principle that the uh, comparative market analysis is based on. 
supply and demand, again, those forces we have to take in consideration as they're going to affect whether it's a seller's market or a buyer's market, and therefore uh, eventually market value of the parcels being sold in those marketplaces and then under those market conditions. There are three approaches to value. There's a sales comparison approach, sometimes called the comparative market analysis, CMA, sales comparison, CMA, same thing. The cost approach, the income approach, and sales comparison approach is used for single family residential properties. The cost approach is used for unique properties like a church or a governmental building. The income approach is used on any kind of income producing property. The sales comparison approach that we talked about, residential properties, based on the principle of substitution. Basically what happens when we're working with sellers is we as real estate agents will use a worksheet, a CMA worksheet, and we'll locate comparable properties similar to ours. We're going to adjust for any differences in those comparable properties. We're going to estimate the value of those compare adjusted values of those properties as we compare them to ours in coming up with final market value of what we think seller's property is going to sell for and we're going to put it on the market for. Example would be we have our subject property. Notice, notice we have these comps that are very similar, comp one, two, and three, but we know there's going to be some slight differences. So what we do is we take those three comps that have sold, so we know the sale price, the third line down shows us the sale price, and we're going to make some adjustments. So there's our sale price. Let's take comp one. Sale price is 480. Notice the age is poor, that, that it has a two and a half car garage. We only have a two car garage. What we do is we start with the comp where the comparable is poorer, we add to it to raise it to ours. Where the comparable is better than ours, we have to subtract it to adjust to ours. So here's the trick. Take the comparable, where it's better, subtract something, where it's worth, add some value. In this case, we're going to make up some numbers. We don't care where the numbers came from, but uh, since its age is older, it's poorer. The comparable is poorer by $2,000. We add 2000 to adjust that part to the difference of the two and a half car garage, which is better than our uh, our house, we adjust it down by $1,000. We take the net adjust adjustments, which here is plus $1,000, and we add it to the sale price of 480, excuse me, we add it to the 480, so that should be $481,000. It's not, it's 479. So we really need to adjust that out, and then we compare it to our subject property. The cost approach is a unique building. With the cost approach, here's how we do it. We take the value of the land, we set it to the side. We find the replacement cost of the building. So here's the value of the land. We determine the replacement cost of the building. We subtract depreciation. So if the replacement cost of the building was 350, if we built it new, it'd be 350. It's not new. We subtract our $6,000. So the depreciated value is 344. We add that back onto the land, and under the cost approach, our property would be worth 
$594,000. The depreciation that we subtracted is a loss in value from any cause. There's basically three categories of depreciation. Physical, functional, external. Physical is wear and tear, like painting and repair. Functional is outdatedness or people's tastes. They just don't like it. Radiator heat, shag carpeting. External is anything that, that affects a loss in value from outside the boundaries of the property. Think of a schoolhouse being built on the block or a firehouse, maybe a landfill, maybe even a zoning ordinance that was just passed might appreciate the value of our property. It's always incurable. At the top of uh, page 389, they talk about straight line depreciation. <clears throat> now before I talk about that, um, our author probably should have put why we have this in here. Uh, we just started, we talked briefly on page 388 about the different types of depreciation as we value, as we appraise a parcel of property. This depreciation isn't really used for appraisal. This depreciation is used for uh, tax write-offs on investment properties. This is what sometimes is referred to as book value of properties, which has nothing to do with market value. So they probably could have made uh, this uh, that a little a little clearer to you. So this is what this depreciation is. It's 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 figuring out what is called quote book uh, uh, value of property based on its depreciation over a period of time. Here's what happens. The easiest way to do depreciation is to look at it as straight line depreciation. And what we basically do is we're going to use this to uh, the straight line depreciation formula to determine the annual depreciation of an investment property. So this is going to be the annual amount that you get to at the end of your tax year to deduct from your income uh, from your investment. Um, if you will, this is sometimes referred to as a tax shelter. You're, 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 you're sheltering some of your taxes by depreciating, by using depreciation uh, against your uh, income. So the key number here in computing straight line depreciation is the useful life. We need to know the useful life. Uh, that is the lifetime of the improvement of the building, which is the improvement, not of the whole property. Just we need to know that building how long will it stand before it completely falls to the ground? Uh, and that's the, that's the useful life of the building. And by the way, uh, this is going to be determined between the investor and his, his financial advisors. Uh, the, you as a real estate broker are not going to be uh, determining useful life of buildings. That's between the appraiser and the investor and uh, his, uh, in, his financial advisors. But what happens is we have an investment property. We buy it. It's for we buy it for three hundred thousand dollars. Now we have to split out the building and the land. Uh, the building is two hundred twenty-five thousand. The land is sixty thousand. The reason we do that is because land doesn't depreciate. So the useful life we're going to estimate is fifty years. That's what our advisors tell us. So what's our annual depreciation? We simply take one and divide it by fifty. So one divided by its useful life, it's going to depreciate two percent annually. So how does this work <coughs> now that we know that? So here's our investment property, useful life of 50 years. The building is $225,000. It's going to fall to the ground in 50 years. It depreciates 2% a year. So if we take that 2%, 1 divided by 50, 
and we multiply it times our $225,000, our annual depreciation write-off is going to be $4,500. So that's our annual depreciation on a building of valued at $225,000 that has a useful life of 50 years. Okay, not very complicated. Sometimes you'll get these kinds of questions. You'll get, uh, tell me, uh, what would the book value of our property be after five years? Well, we simply take the annual, the annual depreciation of $4,500 a year, with five times five for the five years. The five-year total depreciation would be $22,500. We subtract that from our building value, and at the end of five years, our building is worth $202,500. Don't forget, the property, the, the land itself, is separate, and that's still worth something, isn't it? But the building on its book value is $202,500. Hopefully that makes some sense. The income approach, basically the income approach says that the more income we get, the more it's worth. So we have three aspects to the income approach. We have I, which is the net annual income. We have the R, which is a capitalization rate or rate of return. And we have the value of the property. And by knowing any two, we can solve for the third. So we can use the IRV formula in determining uh, and solving for income approach prop uh, problems that we would get on our final exam or the state exam. and. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, three, the formulas that we can drive off our RIRV is R. To solve for net yearly income, we simply multiply the rate times the value. If we're asked the cap rate, we take I and divide it by V. If we need to find the market value, we simply take net yearly income and divide it by our cap rate. So using the IRV formula, you can solve for any one of the three unknowns. Of course, you have to be able to, have to know the other two that are given to you to solve for the third unknown. But here's your formula. <coughs> Pretty easy to follow once you remember IRV. So let's say an investor wants a 7% rate of return. The property value is 3800000 And your problem says, what is the net yearly income? So we want to solve for I. How do we solve for I? <coughs> I equals R times V, <coughs> 0.07 times 3,800,000. That would be $266,000 is your net income. Suppose you need to solve for R. Property value is 2,250,000. The net yearly income is 175. You need to find the cap rate. What is the investor's rate of return or cap rate? So to solve for R, We'll take I and divide it by V. 175,000 times 2250 is 0.07. So R is I divided by V. If you had to sell for V, net yearly income is 55,000. Investor's rate of return is 8%. What is the value of the property? To sell for V, we take income and divide it by rate. 55,000 divided by 0.08. Our um, property value is should be V, not R, I'm sorry. V, the property value is $687,500. V. On page 391, they talk about gross rent multipliers and gross income multipliers. Uh, these are used, they're kind of a combination between an income approach and on residential units. 
So when would you use these? These are basically ballpark uh, estimates that you can make if you have an investor client that's interested in investing in small residential units. So we have uh, single family uh, units, uh, one to four units, and then we have single family units, maybe five or more. Uh, when we start to get to, uh, you know, under the 10 units and above, then we don't use uh, these two techniques, then we'd be using the income approach. So these are sort of ballparking uh, when you're working with investors on, if you will, small um, residential units uh, for investment. Uh, the first uh, they talk about is the gross income multiplier, and that's basically with the five or more units, say five to ten units, you could use this technique to give your investor an idea of what the value of the property would be. The big deal with the income approach it's used on five or more units. And when we're using this approach, we're going to use annual income as opposed to the gross rent multiplier, which you might use on, let's say, a, a, a individual condo that an investor wanted to buy. Uh, so these are typically uh, one to four unit uh, buildings. And the big deal with the gross rent multiplier is we're going to use basically a monthly amount. So these are appraisal techniques used on small residential investment properties condos, townhomes, that type of thing. Now here's the three elements of these, uh, this approach. Uh, we have V for value, we have M for multiplier, and we have R for rent. That would be monthly rent, and of course we would use I if we were talking about uh, income. Uh, these are computed exactly the same way, so all you really have to determine is whether or not you're looking for a five or more unit building. You're going to use the income approach with uh, the annual income or whether you're using a single family property, uh, one to four units of which you're going to use a monthly rent figure. And I'll show you this in a second. We're going to, I'm going to do it with you. Okay, so here are our formulas. If you see a problem and it says gross rent or multiplier, gross income or multiplier, you see any of those words, think of your gross rent multiplier and and, and your formula would be take the gross rent or gross income times the multiplier and that equals the value. So if you can remember that little formula here, you should be able to work these out if you get problems on these things. So once you see the trigger terms gross rent or gross income or you see the trigger term multiplier, that's what it's talking about. Write your little formula out, GR times M equal V or GI times M equal V. So an investor wants to purchase a condo, single family, uh, single in, uh, unit condo for investment. He believes he can lease it for $1,625 a month. He asks you how much should he pay. What you do is you go into the marketplace and kind of using the same thing we would do with the sales comparison approach, we take some comparable investment sales and we take a look at these three four comparables. We go to the MLS and we search all this stuff. And th these condos have sold. These are investment condos and they've all sold. And here's the sale prices that we find out. Then we find out what the monthly rent is for each of those properties. In uh, this case, the uh, comparable one is 1650, comparable two is 1450, 1675, 1565. And then we find their GRM. We basically take the sale price divided by the monthly rent, and now we have a number. We have this multiplier number that we can apply to these uh, four comparables. Now, your big job then, after you do your homework, is to say, okay, based on those GRMs, what is my guesstimate of what 
the GRM will be on the property we're going to be uh, consulting our investor on. What are we going to do? Well, that's called reconciliation, which is basically you're weighing all of these things against each other, you're scratching your head, you're winding your watch, and you're coming up with a guesstimate. And the appraisers don't like that term guesstimate. That's kind of really what it is. You, you, your guesstimate for your GRM, in this case, for this problem, is 117, 117. And that seems reasonable. Okay, so we know the monthly rent. We know what the GRM would be. We can use those two then to determine you. And so there's our 117. So here's our investor who wants to purchase this condo. We take the gross rent multiplier approach, or we take the gross rent times the multiplier to get our value. We said the gross rent was 1625. We said the G, uh, the multiplier was 117. So our investor, we would encourage him that the sale price in this property is somewhere around, if he was going to purchase it for an investment, should be somewhere in the 190,000 125 area. So we can see the GRM and GIM are basically uh, guesstimates. They're off the cup cuff uh, uh, estimates of what you think the value of this investment property is going to be. Uh, you can do them in five minutes, and it gives your investor at least a ballpark idea of what a value should be based on this, these multipliers of other similar investment properties uh, based on the rent that he thinks he can achieve per month or income if it was going to be five or more units and we, we'd use income. The reason why we use income uh, approach where we use the uh, total yearly amount is because we can also add in other income. In other words, if we have a 10-unit building, we might also have coin-operated laundries. We may have vending machines. And we may have you know other uh, other revenue streams in there. So that's why we'd use the GRM, excuse me, the GIM, the gross income multiplier, when we're also going to have other additional sources of income. Reconciliation is where we take the various estimates of value, we weigh them against each other, and we come up with the final value estimate. The big deal about reconciliation is it's not averaging. Don't take three, let's say we're going to use all three approaches on one property, which you typically wouldn't do, but let's just say we did. So we would add market value under the, the um, uh, the um, comparative market analysis approach, we'd have market value under the cost approach, make it market value under the income approach. Uh, we would weigh those against each other, but we wouldn't take the three of them and divide by three, so it's not averaging. The appraisal process starts by identifying the problem, and the appraisal process ends by our final report. Now you're ready for your quiz questions for Chapter 19.